0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. For those of you who are old enough to remember the Apollo program to land on the moon, you will probably also remember the tragedy of the Apollo 1 crew, Roger Chaffee, Ed White, and Gus Grissom. They were killed during a routine test on the launch pad at the Kennedy Space Center when a frayed wire ignited some flammable material in their spacecraft in a pure oxygen environment. The fire and the overpressurization of the cabin made it impossible for them to open the escape hatch. They were stuck there in the flames and in the smoke, and all three of them died. If you remember the news from earlier in the space program, or perhaps watch the compelling historical series, From the Earth to the Moon, you also know that Gus Grissom had previously had another mishap with a hatch on a spacecraft. After he had splashed down in the Atlantic Ocean following his Mercury flight, the explosive bolts on the cabin's hatch had gone off unexpectedly and opened it up much too early. Causing the capsule to flood and to sink. It nearly ended Grissom's career as an, as an astronaut, but a later investigation showed that indeed the explosive bolts could have gone off without his intervention, so he wasn't to blame. Ironically, as a result of the mishap in the Mercury capsule, the Apollo capsule was not equipped with explosive bolts to open the hatch. That might have allowed Grissom and his later crew to escape those flames, but they died. Sometimes irony can be quite tragic. I'm sure that if you thought about it for a while, you could come up with a lot of ironic episodes in your own life, couldn't you? Whether for good or for bad. You might have thought at the time they occurred that they were just lucky or unlucky things that often happen not according to expectations or according to plans or intended outcomes. If we remember, though, that our God is a loving God and is a source of all good, we can always thank Him for guiding us to act and to speak in such ways that can bring wonderful results into our lives or the lives of those we touch, even when that's not what it is we originally intended. We can also be assured that Even when the outcomes aren't so good, it's not an indication that he doesn't love us or have concern for us, but rather it's an exercise of his perfect will, directed toward his greater purposes. Tonight we continue our Lenten journey, looking more closely at the events leading up to the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. Our theme for this year in our midweek services is the ironies that occurred during the final weeks and days of Jesus' ministry leading up to his death. Now, according to the dictionary, one simple definition of irony is something that turns out quite different from the original intentions of the person who is speaking or who is acting. We've faced all of those, haven't we, in our lives? We see in the gospel lesson tonight, however, a discussion that takes place amongst the chief priests and the Pharisees and the other Jewish ruling leaders. This discussion took place just after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, this was an amazing miracle, of course. And we might think that these religious leaders should realize that it's only God that could have such power over matters of life and death like this. At the very least, they should have given credit and acclaim to Jesus as being nothing less than a true prophet. Their words, however, make it clear that they believe nothing of the sort. They do, of course, believe that the miracles are true because they do say, this man performs many signs. But somehow they're convinced that this is a bad thing. They are concerned that they ought to do something to try to stop Jesus. Instead of rejoicing that God has finally given them a sign that He has not abandoned His people, they are more worried that the actions of Jesus are going to lead to their destruction. Even worse, their real, their real concern seems to be more centered around themselves and around anyone else. These leaders think that if people become believers in Jesus, the Romans who occupy their country will throw them out of power. And while that's not the main irony of this gospel lesson, it's one of several. You see, it turns out that it's not the ministry of Jesus, nor is it the action of those who believe in him, that will eventually destroy this Jewish nation and cause these leaders to lose their positions. About 40 years after these events, a rebellion takes place, led by Jewish fanatics. This leads to the destruction of the temple, and the dispersion of Jews throughout the ancient world. It ends the religious life that these leaders are so carefully trying to protect. The greater irony in this lesson, though, is in the words of Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, even though his words may have been spoken in cunning self-interest and self-motivation, God still uses Caiaphas to speak the truth. And what truth is that? Listen to Caiaphas' words again. It is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. God used Caiaphas' words to proclaim the truth about the coming crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ and about the benefits that it would provide. Caiaphas was thinking that by killing Jesus, they would eliminate a problem that might cause them to lose their worldly power. By killing Jesus, they could protect their way of life. By killing this one man, Jesus, many, many others might be spared from the destruction that the Romans might wreak upon them. It's ironic, of course, that Caiaphas and his cronies, in spite of all of their supposed knowledge of the Word of God and the promises that he had made to the nation of Israel, didn't ever really come to understand who Jesus was, or what his death would truly mean. They saw Jesus as a threat, not as a solution. They saw Jesus as a convenient fall guy, a scapegoat, if you will. If he could be destroyed, they could be preserved. How ironic, too, that these leaders failed to understand that the real threat which hung over each and every one of them, and over us as well, is not the threat of the fear of those who can destroy the body like those Roman legions, but rather the fear of the one who could throw their souls into hell. How ironic also that they worried so much about what their own people and about what the Romans thought, but cared little about what God had thought and revealed to them in his word. And how ironic that in their ignorant eagerness to cause the death of God, The Sanhedrin's desire for power and their sinful actions instead resulted in the death of death, in the destruction of hell's power, and in the eventual eradication of sin itself. Indeed, Caiaphas spoke the truth that day, however ironically it might have come. It was better for the people, and it's better for you and me that Jesus should die. It was infinitely better. Jesus didn't deserve death, and we don't deserve the benefits that come from that death. But that's how God often works. He often takes what we expect or what we think, and He turns it backwards or He turns it upside down. He takes our failures and our weaknesses, and He replaces it with His perfection. No matter what we in our human sinfulness might intend, no matter how twisted the world might be or how evil the devil's desires, the irony in all of this is that God's holy intentions will lead to an entirely different outcome from anything that the devil or Caiaphas or even you and I might dream up or could possibly even imagine. That is, that in the death of Jesus, there would be a great blessing for you. That this would lead not just to your temporary survival, but to your eternal life through the forgiveness of your sins. You see, it's not just better for you that the one man, Jesus, should die for you, that you should not perish. The ironic truth is, it's perfect. In the holy name of that one and perfect Lamb, Jesus, amen.